Hey, everybody. It's Michelle, and I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication, and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can begin, then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to chasing the swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and a guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All right, everybody. Hi. I am super excited about today. Also, we'll have to share the fun fiasco that happened just before we went to record. But we have none other than Brooke. Bieleman, MSCCC, SLP. Y'all may have heard her from episode four of Understanding Dysphagia podcast, Head and Neck Cancer. And if you don't know Brooke, and you should know Brooke, Brooke is a full-time member of Tactile Medical's oncology team. She's a board member for the Dysphagia Outreach Project, which we love. And that was All of their board members and their volunteers were part of the Understanding Dysphagia podcast. And she she lectures all over the place, like literally all over the place on best practices for treating dysphagia for individuals with head and neck cancer. But one of my favorite little known facts um, is that she's a puppy dog mom and also that she has created a mentorship program called Servant Leader. Is that right, Brooke? Servant Leadership? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Yes. And and it's it's a course that you can participate in because 
she understands how vital it is that we embrace not only evidence and evaluation and treatment of dysphagia, but also we have to lean in with grace and strength and be leaders in our field and in our workplace, locally, and all the way up to a national level. And I am so grateful that you're back. So hi. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Michelle. It's, It's good to talk to you again. Yes. Um, folks, right before we began, she had a puppy scratching and wanting to play and um, Bear thought he could take on the bidet with a Pikachu onesie. So there was chaos. And, oh my God. Uh, bear and a bidet and a Pikachu onesie. That's not something that's going to come out of my head for a while. But, um, you know, we we slight delay to our start time, but here we are. So we made it. Yay. Okay. So for the folks that have yet to hear the head and neck cancer episode, because typically first bite folks are peds people. But can you talk to us about how you became a speech pathologist and how you were drawn to that type of work as well as leadership? Definitely. So I knew that I wanted to be a speech pathologist since I was about 15 years old. My grandma had a stroke when she was in her early 40s. So growing up, I only ever really saw her as having the disabilities that she had from that first stroke. And then, of course, as we are all probably familiar with, it's not uncommon for individuals to have additional strokes. So unfortunately, she did have additional strokes as her uh, life went on. So she had aphasia, swallowing difficulties, and then eventually dementia. So looking back now, I can see ways in which we as a family and the therapy team could have done things a little bit differently. But during that time, I was very passionate about the care that she was getting and and really wanting to improve her quality of life. And so I went to grad school. Well, I went to undergrad and then obviously grad school, knowing that I wanted to be a speech pathologist and work with adults, originally thinking I would work more with the neuro population up until my one of my best friends and I in grad school, we heard that MD Anderson was having a laryngectomy conference. So on a whim, we road trip down from Missouri all the way to Texas to <laughs> attend the uh, conference. Just on a whim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on a whim, um, we're just and, casually going to go learn about laryngectomy. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. It, I think it was like a 14-hour drive or something crazy. But just seeing how integrated the speech pathology team with the physicians and helping to really make super crucial decisions in regards to surgery and the lymphatic system and how those two systems really work together, how the lymphatic system impacts uh, swallow dysfunction or swallow function. And it was just very eye-opening and very cool to see the level of respect that those the SLP team had. And I left saying, I want to do that. I want to build a program like that where we can really impact patients' lives. And it was definitely even something back then that was not well known. I mean, I think people knew about it, but to have a team that that was that cohesive um, was something very, very cool to me that I wanted to to help replicate. So my first job out of school, I did actually have the opportunity to do kind of a little bit of everything, which really helped me kind of further discover what I wanted to do, which was being a little bit more niche in the head and neck. So I was working in acute care, outpatient and inpatient rehab. So I did get the neuro while also helping to build a head neck cancer program. You asked about leadership. So how I got involved in leadership, I've always been involved in in different organizations and opportunities to explore leadership. However, in the field of speech pathology, I think really it's been just a combination of my experiences over the years that have kind of led me to going out on my own and and kind of doing my own leadership endeavor, if if that makes sense. I've had a lot of really great mentors and people that I've connected with in the field that have helped mold me into who I am. And so I definitely give those people credit to to helping build those leadership qualities in myself. As it relates to, to servant leadership, that was just something that came out of of a need. So during the height of COVID and really seeing the financial ramifications and the lack of access to evidence-based practice, I'm sure we can all attest to, that's kind of where where that stemmed from. But leadership's always been something very important to me. So I always try to seek out those opportunities, both in my personal and professional career, because I think the leadership is something very important and we can lead by example and make a really big impact, even by just the actions that we take on a daily basis. 
Yes. Yes. And I have to say that you, I, I follow, um, Brooke's on, Brooke is on Instagram and I follow her on Instagram and she does lead by example in multiple facets of her life. And Instagram and social media in general can misinform you and it can be a negative, scary, dark place, right? Mm -hmm. But what I have found is that even through social media, you focus on putting good in the universe whether that be, you know, an inspirational quote or, um, I love when you do your, your weightlifting. I'm like, yeah, get it. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, as I'm over here pretending that I'm airlifting air. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so, but just, yes, you true, you truly are the personification of a, of a strong leader and it puts joy in my heart. So thank you. Well, thank you, Michelle. I, I really love you and all the impact that you're making and was just honestly honored to be uh, interviewed last year. And now like, I'm so thankful that, that we're friends and some of the things that you have done, such as praying before the podcast, I've actually implemented that now. So my friend Kate Hainer and I did a presentation not too long ago and we held hands and prayed before our, our presentation. So I really appreciate you and your mentorship, whether or not you even knew that you were doing it. <laughs> Mm, now I'm crying. Yeah. Nope. Didn't just, um, it's just what I do. It's what I do. Also hashtag SLPs of faith. Boo. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, before I see now I'm all in my feels. it. Okay. Take us, take us from the top. What does leadership mean to you? And can you kind of walk us through some different leadership styles? Yes. So there are many different leadership styles, kind of as, as you alluded to. For me, the one that resonates for me the most is is servant leadership. So leading through through service. Um, and again, that kind of goes back to what you just mentioned, which is which is my faith. And you also mentioned my Instagram. So I do want to put that out there that I try to make my Instagram exactly how I am in real life because being a leader and being authentic is messy. It's not perfect. It's not like social media sometimes lends us to think something is. So just being very authentic with the challenges and the successes and the collaborations, it's messy, but that's just how life is. So for me, the the one that resonates the most is servant leadership. So really leading through service and serving others to to be that leader. So that kind of goes back to what I said a minute ago about leading by example. So doing things for other people and, and really just letting your actions define you, not just saying words and then having nothing to back it up with. So that's really the one that resonates with with me the most. And I think many SLPs, whether they know it or not, they are embodying servant leadership because we serve in our jobs. No matter what setting you're in, you are serving your patients and their families and you're being a servant leader on the interdisciplinary team. I think that's something that is so powerful and that sometimes we forget that we can actually be a leader without the title, just literally in the actions that we that we take on a daily basis. Um, I know a lot of people have been kind of experiencing burnout now for the past several years due to everything that's been going on. So I think that's part of what I've been trying to do is help people get through that by just a shift in mindset and thinking about how can I embody being a servant leader and even just small actions that I'm already doing every day to to tweak that mindset so that hopefully we can come from a place of service and gratitude that helps fill up our cup even while we're going through maybe some really challenging situations. I have found that what I thought it meant to be a leader has evolved. When I first started out in the field, my leader was my director of rehab, right? Like that was my boss. Like, and I have always associated early on in my career, leadership being associated with the job title and with their income, right? Like the leader was the person who made the most money, the person that you reported to, the buck stops here kind of job, right? But what I have found is that that doesn't always make a good leader. And that doesn't always mean that they're the leader on the team, right? I'm trying to be very diplomatic as I pick these words. (laughs) 
Yeah. And also with that, I have found that sometimes when some individuals, when they get the title or the get placed in those positions, they are ill-equipped to to actually lead various teams. But those are just my insights. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes people fall into leadership opportunities maybe by chance or, or maybe they they do pursue them and then realize that it's it's hard to be a leader. You have to be able to work with different personality types and different communication styles. And and it's not that, you know, I, I just think sometimes people be ill-equipped to do that for various reasons. And so if you're not willing to be humble and admit that, hey, you know, people that I'm working with, they may have different personality styles or they may have different values and beliefs than I do. If you aren't able to be authentic and be humble, that I need to to learn and to grow and always be in that position of authenticity, um, I think that's what really stifles the growth of someone in a quote unquote leadership role. Like you said, coming out of school, I always thought the director of rehab or the speech pathology leader, whoever it is, that that was the leader. And it's not to say that that isn't a title of leadership; it definitely is. But I'm sure many people listening have experienced times where the person that's quote unquote, the leader really isn't able to, to effectively lead. And so that's a big, a big topic of challenge. I think many people, not even speech pathologists, just in general, people in the world, world experience. But what is so powerful and cool is that every one of us, no matter what our role or setting is, we all have the ability to be leaders. Like I mentioned earlier, just in the actions that we take. And when people start to see you act in a certain way and embody those values and actions, that is contagious, right? So that positivity, that acting from a place of service and gratitude, that catches on like wildfire and people get excited about it. And it's so cool to see the dynamics change. And so I think that's something that I that I'm very passionate about, uh, about encouraging those values. As you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I'm very passionate about evidence-based practice. And I know, I know you are as well, Michelle, and that's what I use my Instagram platform to, to really promote. And a lot of speech pathologists around the country say that they have difficulty finding coworkers and teams that share that same passion and fire for evidence, evidence-based practice and going above and beyond for their patients. And I think that by allowing people the opportunity and the space to collaborate and connect with people who share that same fire and can help guide the direction, then those people are able to go back to their teams and be that person and start that wildfire within their team. Because it's not to say that the team itself wasn't you know, passionate about evidence-based practice or going above and beyond. But it's easy to get into the lull of just the day-to-day, I'm clocking in and out. I lose the fire that I had when I came out of graduate school and like my why for doing this field. We've had several years now of um, (laughs) stuff going on. Um, But even before that, even before the pandemic, um, what we do is is very emotionally taxing. No matter what area field you're in, it is emotionally taxing. Our jobs are also can be physical. You know, if you're doing things like manual therapy, or, you know, you're an acute care therapist, and you run all over the hospital, like there's a lot of components to our, our job that are mentally, physically and emotionally taxing. And so, you know, I think that that's something that we have forgotten is to one, give ourselves grace, but two, we can actually help bring that gratitude, service and leadership to the teams that we work in. But part of that, I think, is just bringing people together to help raise us up to that level so that we actually, our cups are filled and we can go back and, and implement that. I, I know it's a little bit of a ramble, but hopefully you got the gist of what I was trying to, to get across there. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I have, I had so many different thoughts. I was trying to control my ADD in my head. So that's very difficult sometimes. So hang with me, guys. Okay. My first thought is, When there are platforms, there are tools for you to discover your leadership style. And what I have found is that by discovering more about my own leadership style, I have been able to identify the leadership style of those around me, right? Mm -hmm. And I am a huge fan of the ASHA Leadership Development Program. I did that several years ago. One of the greatest things I have done for myself professionally. It was a huge time commitment. It was 
a ton of work, but God, the tools that they gave me were profound. And like Asha does have an, they have their the year long cohort, which I did. And Aaron actually starts in just a couple of months, but they also have online tools under their just larger leadership umbrella on their website. But what I found big surprise is that my weakness as a leader is also my strength and my leadership style is pace setting. Right. Mm-hmm. So like that's, I run a hundred miles an hour all the time, but I've done that my entire life. Thank you. Neurodiverse. I'm learning to speak positively about my ADD, ADHD, but like, dude, I go like a freaking energizer bunny rabbit. And I know that, but that's exhausting for some people. And, Mm -hmm. but for other people, it energizes them. Right. So what I have to do is learn to, as I tell Goose Danger, our oldest, um, I got to learn to read the room. So I have to learn who am I energizing by being my full self? And then whom do I need to not change myself, but be respectful that they're love language to go back to the five love languages, their love language for hearing feedback and for being part of a team is different. So I need to just make adjustments and modifications. It's kind of like, I compare this to like my patients. Some patients need, when we're doing feeding therapy, they need high arousal and some patients need low arousal levels, right? Like they need sharp flavors, sharp smells, and some need more bland, right? So it's, it's the same modifications I would do in a therapy session. I just do that when I'm part of a team, but I would not have known that about myself. I don't think I would have ever gotten the emotional intelligence had I not like with respect to that, how I lead, had I not partaken of the, those leadership styles and quizzes. Yeah. Also, there's ones where you can like be an animal. I always wanted to be the golden retriever leader. I'm not the golden retriever leader, but I just like golden retrievers. So like me. A couple of things. So you, so I, one of my goals for this year is to further develop as a leader. So my current team that I'm on with Tactile, I have learned so much about leadership and emotional intelligence because I'm on the leadership team within the company. I'm working with people all over the country, both within the company and within hospital systems. And so um, one of the things you touched on was um, kind of identifying that energy exchange and, and where people are at. And we can do that with improved communication styles. So I'm similar to you in the way that I'm very uh, high energy and I have a lot of stuff I, I want to share. And I usually talk 100 miles a minute. And that's yep. like, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be interesting because I'm in the ASHA leadership group this round to see if- Wait, if, you are? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see, do I truly identify it as a servant leader? Because when you're describing yourself as a pace setter, I definitely have very similar traits to that. But I've been working on that this past year because to your point, there are actually things we can do with our communication to better assess the person in front of us and and what do they need and what is their need behind the need? Because we're all coming from a different place. And sometimes, you know, how people react to us has absolutely nothing to do with us. Something maybe that happened today or yesterday and, and what is, what is actually driving them? It could be something completely opposite than what we think, but we don't know unless we ask. And I feel like that's, Definitely something that I have really had to work on and learn is, is slowing down. My manager, he's very, very good at, at communication. I used to get a little bit intimidated talking to him. He'll laugh if he hears this. But I used to get a little bit intimidated talking to him because he is so good at this communication style that he would flip flip it on me to really make me look introspectively and assess what is it that I actually just said and where did that come from? And so... It, it's very interesting. I feel like I've I've worked very hard on my ability to communicate and to be a better leader in that regard over the past year. So that's one of my goals this year is just to continue to work on that emotional intelligence in that communication because I do feel like a lot of people are in the speech world are sim- similar to you and I, Michelle, in that we're high energy, we're going all over the place, but not everyone is like that. And so if we aren't meeting people where they're at, we can't actually help them. 
because we're just making assumptions in our head about something that we actually don't know if that is accurate or not. Yes. One, congratulations for being the LDP thing. It's amazing. Huzzah. And two, I had this great quote come up. When you finally learn that a person's behavior has more to do with their internal struggle than it ever did with you, you learn grace. Mm -hmm. And it was apparently from Soul Sisters Memorial Foundation and the land of Facebook. So I don't know who to attribute the quote to, but um, (laughs) my social media feed is full of fluffy fat animals. Also, Please take two seconds if you're not driving and go follow Round Boys on Instagram. It's just spherical shaped animals and it's great. <laughs> but like, as everybody's like, oh, that's the best tip of the episode. <laughs> so like, but we don't know. We don't know the biases of the teams that we're leading and working with because we're not in their head. But we also don't know their hurts. We don't know their joys. We don't know the battles that they're dealing with. And having emotional intelligence and growing your emotional intelligence is absolutely fundamental to personal growth for um, you as a leader. I mean, that the, the ramifications for how it's going to impact your patient care, as well as you being part of the team, whether that be, you know, hey, there's case in point, Erin's working on redoing um, the patient intake forms at her job, and she's part of the team doing that, right? And and everybody's got their own things that they want on the patient intake forms. Sorry, Erin, this was just like fresh on my mind. But If she's coming at it from a PFD for a medically fragile child, the questions that she wants on the patient intake form are very different than the questions that somebody who's coming at it from a seeking out a differential diagnosis, if it's a motor speech disorder, or if it's a phonological processes, and they're trying to tease that information out on their intake form, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to have the crucial conversation. There is a book that I am reading. It's by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, do, do you know Malcolm Gladwell? I've heard of his work, but I have not read any of his books yet. I have read so very many of his books. Uh, Tipping Point is one of my favorites, but here it is. It's called Talking to Strangers. It's coming up. Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, it's on sale. I paid like so much more money for this. Yes. But that book, that book is key because yes, your team that you're working with, you're, they're probably not strangers to you, but you don't know where being a leader, what actual rooms you're going to enter into. So for me, that's one of my, like I sit on my exercise bike and pedal away and read Malcolm Gladwell, but I would recommend that one. Okay. Sorry, squirrel. No, that's okay. I think, you know, one of the ways that we can improve our emotional intelligence is actually really getting to know ourselves because a lot of times we go through the motions and we, we do things, but the reason that I've grown so much this past year is because of the team that I'm on. But then a lot of the work that I've done in my personal life. So I've been through some, in my opinion, pretty challenging things. Um, since I graduated grad school, almost it's been about five years ago. And I, God, honey, you're so young and so wise. You have a very old, joyful soul. Sorry, I'm so proud of you. All right, continue. Uh, but just again, being you know vulnerable and authentic with anyone listening, I went through a very traumatic divorce right after grad school, and um, I've always suffered from anxiety and you know have panic attacks and other things. And so I have been in counseling and I, and I go up, see my counselor, you know, typically once a week or biweekly, depending upon what's going on in my life. But that I'm not going to lie. That sucked. Like, because I'm the type of person, I'm very type A, I have it quote unquote, have it all together. And just really like plowing through that time of my life. That's what I did. I just put my like foot on the gas and did a hundred things to just get through that. And I came out on the other side and 
I felt like I had made it through, quote unquote, again, um, until I realized I really hadn't because I hadn't actually worked on the damage that had been done internally and how that affected me as a person and as a team member and as a leader. And so really, um, like I said, working with a counselor, I got a, a physician now that's kind of a, she has a blend of like uh, medicinal and style of, of practice. Um, and she's been awesome to talk to and really leaning into the stuff that honestly sucked. Like there's no, there's no other good way to say it, but it just, it sucked. Right. Being able to, to embody that and sit in it. Some of the things that I did were I obviously I said, account, I went through counseling and I still have a counselor that I see. Um, but then I went through yoga teacher training, which sounds kind of random, but in the practice of yoga, that's part of what the practice embodies is, is sitting in the challenge, sitting in the pain, because we try to run from that, right? We try to run from it. And, and we end up not really truly knowing ourselves. Um, and so a, a lot of these experiences that at the time, I was like, God, you know, why is this happening to me, I think have actually helped me to get to where I am now. And so I, I definitely have still a lot of a lot of work to do and a lot of learning to do. Like I said, even just in this past year, I look back to where I was where I was last year. And I, when my boss interviewed me, he asked me, "What gets me out of bed in the morning? Like, what's my driver?" And even just that question, like, really, like, impacted me. That was in an interview. <laughs> in an interview, I was like, "Oh my gosh, Adam, he's he's my manager." But um, so now I feel like I could actually answer that question and be. I answered it to the best of my ability at the time, but now I feel like I'm in a very different position because I've read a lot of books. Um, I'm actually looking, I'm in my office right now looking at one of them. It's called How to Do the Work. This, she's a psychologist. If you all are on Instagram, check her out. Her page is The Holistic Psychologist. Wait, hang on. What, what is the book called? How to Do, How to do the, the Work? Yeah. The psychologist on Instagram, her name is, or her handle on Instagram is the holistic psychologist. So, you know, changing the things that were on my feed to be more leadership focused and emotional intelligence and faith-based and all of those things. And honestly, like I said, really leaning into the stuff that sucked because it's so much easier to be like, I'm just going to work and I'm not going to face this stuff. But it's when we really go internal uh, that we learn about ourselves and we are better able then to serve other people. And so, I don't know, that's something kind of random. I didn't really think I was going to sh- share that on here, but um, I do think that that's really something that can help us develop as leaders when we get to know ourselves better, because it's easy to think that you know yourself. But for me personally, I was just running from from things uh, because it's easier to work and get get my checklist done than to sit here and really be silent and be still and, um, and work through some of that stuff. So I left my ex-husband after grad school was done and son of a gun tried to kill me a couple times, but, um, really good restraining order and divorce attorney and counselor. And you are absolutely correct. Y'all, we have to sit in the uncomfortable and it's, okay to sit in the uncomfortable. It's okay to admit Michelle Linwood Dawson that you may or may not feel like the broken toy on the shelf that nobody will ever want because you're the damaged goods. That mm-hmm. was raw. It's like that bowl, that golden bowl um, from Japan, the, the pottery that they um, traditionally, if you broke a bowl, they would fuse it back together with gold. And I think that analogy is great because, yes, we are both women of faith. um, And it's through our cracks that um, his light can shine. And I say all of this, one, because there's somebody out there that needs to hear it. And if you're in a relationship that is unhealthy, abuse is abuse, whether it's verbal, if it's physical, if it's sexual, or if it's financial, that is abuse, right? Mm-hmm. But by sitting in the uncomfortable, to quote um, my mentor and chair over at FMU, Dr. Burns, that's where you grow. And what I have found is that the leaders in the room, y'all, they've all had that moment in their lives where they felt like the broken toy on the shelf. They felt like the shattered bowl on the floor. But the difference is they dusted it off. They put themselves together. And they moved through it and forward 
and they're stronger on the other side. Mm-hmm. And the ones that you are naturally drawn to, the women, and I say women, but I mean, <laughs> there are some men, but like the women that I'm drawn to for their leadership styles, those are, they're the ones that are authentic to use your word. And and they're the ones that take time out to be active listeners, that take time out to hold the conversations that makes everybody else uncomfortable. That's how Bear says it, uncomfortable. I think that's cute. I'm not fixing that. (laughs) Also, I am so proud of you. God, you are incredibly strong and not just like deadlifting strong. (laughs) (laughs) Because you were, you were making me cry for a minute there. Um, Cause I, I just, I've, I'm in a relationship now and, you know, I have said that many times because I still feel that way that I am quote unquote damaged goods. And and this doesn't come from a speech standpoint, just like in a romantic relationship. Right. And it's hard. It is hard to work through that and recognize that your past doesn't define you. It's your actions that you have and they can start now. You know, I, I look back on that person that went through that. And to your point, to turn something that was very challenging and, and difficult and not think of it as a negative thing. It, it was very hard, but it helped me get to where I am now. And during that period of time, I shared, I didn't share really the details, but it was pretty obvious that I was going through something pretty hard because I, I don't know if anorexic is the correct term, but I lost almost 20 pounds. I was about a hundred pounds and it was pretty obvious in my pictures and Instagram stories. Um, And I shared that I was going through some challenging stuff. Like I lost everything. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a place to live. Um, It was really crazy. But then that is where I learned to, that it's okay to to ask for help. Um, You know, my family, my friends, my my coworkers and people in the speech pathology community. And it's okay to admit that not everything's okay. And then eventually you are going to be in a different position where you can open up your home and your the things that you have to someone else. And it, it's interesting. I, um, one of my coworkers, because I don't live, I don't live where my family lives. So I could have moved home, but I wanted to stay and keep my job and where, where I live now. So one of my coworkers took me in to live with her. And I told her, she, she said, one day you'll be able to pay this forward. And she said that, cause she had actually went through something where she needed to live with someone when she was about my age at the time. And I didn't think that that time would come anytime soon, but just literally like a year later, a physical therapy student was in the area and she had lost her place to live uh, while she was doing an externship. So I was able to give her my apartment to live in. And so you never know how, how things are going to show up <laughs> in your life, you know? So it is, it's, it's really cool, but it's just being open to open to whatever happens and, and really sitting back and being an observer is one thing I'm really trying to do is active listening and being an observer and recognizing that not everything that happens is necessarily about me, but how can I, you know, the only thing I can control is how I react to the things that happen. So it's kind of powerful, actually. It's, you know, it's, it's powerful to realize that I can control how I react and how I react can actually have a ripple effect throughout the community, which is pretty cool. Okay. So somehow or another, this turned into this, we, we are sticking to our course objectives, folks, but also, wow, we needed this, right? We needed this. Okay. So there are women and men um, and folks listening that are in a position to help, right? So when you're in that position and, um, or they're in a position where they can volunteer their time, so this is this is how this is how I view my tithing. Um, I can I can volunteer my time, right? Um, one of the things that I have done for the last couple of years um, is try to um, at our state association conference, Dr. Jackie Jones Brown. She is, I think, an associate professor or an assistant professor at um, South Carolina State University. She is, and I also think she's a preacher. She's a wonderful woman. Dr. Jackie um, created the Caring Square for Skisha for our state conferences, right? It's fantastic. And she modeled it off of an ASHA convention, right? But what we have done is 
and how I have taken my leadership style and my volunteering and working with teams is making sure that that caring square, when it was my opportunity to be part of it, we supported the domestic violence shelter, um, which was actually kind of a hard sell because it made people uncomfortable, right? But what I look back on and of all the caring squares that we have done um, and held, that one garnered some of the most donations of all of them because, right? But like we all know someone who was there or we were ourselves there because statistically the rates are too freaking high. But um, also, random note, it is still a state law in the state of South Carolina that you can take your wife to the state grounds um, at the um, Capitol building and beat her with a one inch switch on the like first Sunday of the month or something like that. And like, it's an antiquated law that clearly does not need to be repealed from the books, but are like for real people, it's the 21st century. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like nobody's done it, but like the fact that it's still there is just like what the hey? <laughs> but like, rawr, rant, <laughs> tiny soapbox. Okay, moving forward. All right, give me some of your favorite resources um, for learning more about leadership and how to hold conversations. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, uh, the holistic psychologist. She has a lot of really great resources. Her books, her Instagram. Um, I've read a lot of Brene Brown books. The Alter Ego Effect is what was one of probably the first books that I read that really helped me to recognize how I could um, step into an alter ego, if you will, to to get into that place of confidence to improve my speaking and my communication skills. Um, I think actually surrounding yourself with people who push you to a higher level. So whether that be in your current job, or if you have to seek mentors elsewhere, I have found a lot of mentors within the field of speech pathology just through social media. Uh, But now like my current team that I'm on, there are a lot of members of that team that really push me to that higher level. So the conversations that we're having are very positive and very goal oriented and you know, when we're talking about a challenge, it's not in a negative, like griping, gossipy way. I, I don't do that anymore. It's, or I try not to, I'm not perfect. Um, but it's, it's having conversations that really raise the bar and kind of push you to that level. And if you feel like you are having trouble finding those people, because it's definitely something that takes time, it takes time to build those relationships and seek out those people. But that's part of the reason that I created servant leadership was to give people the opportunity to be in a group of people who who share the same values of wanting to give back, of wanting to be leaders and wanting to have evidence, evidence-based practice in the field of speech pathology. Because um, that was something that I've heard, you know, since graduating and even saw in grad school of people just being clicky and, and not including people and not sharing resources. And then you get out into the field and it's um, there are those pockets of our field, right? Where the the price point of a, of a course or of a think tank is thousands and thousands of dollars, or there are other groups that are maybe not as inclusive. And so that's kind of how servant leadership was, was created because during the beginning of COVID, our field was not recognized as an essential field, right? So a lot of us were, furloughed. I know I was furloughed. I, I was, you know, I, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck very close to it because of just, you know, we couldn't have our multiple jobs that we had. And there was a lot of, a lot of people were furloughed. And so our CEU requirements were still the same. Many of us still wanted to, we still wanted to collaborate. We still wanted to grow in leadership. But again, the price point of a lot of these courses I understand from a business perspective, I do, I understand some people are, are, you know, they're business people. I get it. But I think, again, I, I'm very passionate about leading by example and um, coming from a place of service. And so it was an idea that I had. And one of my best friends, Kate Hainer, I went to her, I was like, I really want to do this. Do you think you would help me? Um, and so 
it was very much like I told her, we talked about it. And then like two weeks later, I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's launch it. Um, and it's really just snowballed from there. So it's a free, it's a free group. It's currently, we, we are enrolling right now. Um, we ran it seven times last year, I think. And so when we sat down and added up the hours, we did over 100 hours dedicated to this program. Um, it was very, very cool. Um, it was very cool to see the response. Um, we had the first cohort and then they went out and shared. We would share every week kind of like what we were talking about in the group on social media. Um, and then, like I said, every enrollment, we've had more and more people. Um, so it's been really cool because then those groups kind of stay together and it connects people across the country and actually people across the world. We've had SLPs from other parts of the world join um, that are tuning in at you know 4 a.m. their time. Super cool. Um, and so the, the idea behind it is that it's a... Um, a collaborative group is what I call it, where SLPs are coming together and it's people from all aspects of the field. So people um, that are in schools or skilled nursing or acute care or early uh, intervention, early yeah. intervention. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's really, it, and just being honest with the listeners, everybody gets in. As long as you fill out the application, everyone gets in. The reason that the application is so extensive and long is because we want to ensure that you are open to the time commitment because it is, it's a free group. And so we want people to, to take it seriously and show up because if you aren't showing up, then those relationships can't form those collaborations, those moments of vulnerability that you, they can't happen if you're not there. And so that's why the, the application is pretty extensive. It gets pretty personal, but we want people to recognize that this is, it's a commitment. It's different than a financial commitment, but we want people to take it seriously. And so it's a 12 week program. Everyone meets once a week for 12 weeks. Um, our initial one is, is like goal setting and, and again, getting vulnerable and talking about the challenges we're experiencing. And then we have guest speakers from various aspects of the field. It's all volunteer based. So no, the only people that pay for anything are Kate and I, because we pay for the zoom. <laughs> That's it. I love how you're holding a leadership program and that's free and yet you are still paying for it. But like, I just, I love that. So yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's been really good. We did, we did one just for graduate students last year. It, like uh, we ran that duel to the, to the other one that was going on that were, was for people who hadn't graduated. And now we've kind of moved into the model of we don't care if you're in grad school, if you've been out for 20 years, whatever, like, let's all just get together. And um, the grad students have said that that's been really helpful, too, because they're hearing from people out in the field of what to expect, what challenges, how do I um, negotiate pay? How do I move up as a leader? How do I pursue higher education? Like all of these different things. So, so yeah, it's been really, really cool. This year, uh, 2022, we are, we are only going to host it once. And that goes back to the personal work, right, of recognizing boundaries. Around the holidays this last year, I my panic attacks just really spiraled out of control that they were actually impacting my day-to-day -day life. And so, again, going back to my, my manager, <laughs> he always makes me look really introspectively. Um, he, you know, really asked me to assess it. Well, where are you allocating your time? Where can you really kind of set some boundaries? So it's not that I don't love servant leadership. I 100% love it. But the back end of the stuff, it, it is very time consuming of, you know, coordinating with speakers, getting the presentations together. We have a, a group like a WhatsApp group for the for the um, people who participate, we have a Facebook group, and then we have the guest speakers. So we make sure everything is um, that, that the citations are there, are there that the presentations are there, and that everyone in the group has access to all of the resources from like the start all the way to infinity. And so we were making sure that we're answering people's questions with an evidence-based response, or if we don't know the answer, we're directing them to someone who does. So um, it's definitely something I love to do, but out of just, you know, boundaries for myself and Kate, as we are trying to um, to continue to work on ourselves, and then we also have full-time jobs, we are going to host it just one time this year and probably have it be a bigger size group than in the past. Um, so that will be launching. We're going to do it in the fall. So just kind of a little background, I always post about it on social media. So if you're interested in joining, the application will be up probably late summer. Okay. When you were, when you were describing it, you were talking about challenges that folks would face and how y'all troubleshoot through, especially for like the younger clinicians. 
when you're in the field, there's different challenges as you move through your career, right? So when you're first starting out, it's one of the challenges I have seen younger clinicians, especially CFs struggle with is maybe the advice that they're given by their fully seed supervisor or by the senior led senior team member is that they want them to engage in non-evidence-based practice. Case in point, a dear friend, she's a phenomenal um, clinician. I mean, even now, like right out the gate, she's phenomenal, right? But her supervisors asked her to engage in um, non-speech oral motor exercises and chewing on plastic things in treatment of a child's pediatric feeding disorder, and oral stage dysphagia, which we know from the literature is not evidence-based practice. I'll say that again for the people in the back, not evidence-based practice. And But I have heard that so many times, right? And, and that's a huge challenge versus when we're older and you're going through that stage in your life, another challenge of, but you're a working mom, you're a working father, you're a working parent. And being able to lean in and say, no, I can't do this, or I still bring value to the team, even though I've cut back on my work hours because work-life balance, right? And, and then there's challenges when you get farther along in the career. My dad just hit gray beard status. Um, it's when like you're basically just used for people picking your brains because you're at the end of your um, normal career, Right. And it's, it's a huge honor, but at the same time, it's like, once you hit Graybeard, you know, you're um, a figurehead sometimes. And, and that's a challenge in and of itself. So those are three very different case scenarios, but when folks are facing challenges like this um, with leadership or with learn, wanting to address leadership, um, what recommendations do you have? Yeah. So those are all really good examples. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to those. The first one that you, that you mentioned about, you know, facing situations where people are encouraged to not utilize evidence-based practice. That's very, very common, right? I think that goes back to communication styles and a little bit of bravery, because if you're not someone who is confrontational uh, or maybe an extrovert and outspoken, those can be very intimidating conversations to have. And I'm an extrovert, but even those conversations at the beginning of my career were very, very, very intimidating. And so I think that goes back to communication styles and discovering the person's need behind the need. So, so Michelle, you know, if you're the one instructing me to not use evidence-based practice, um, me getting my stuff together. So having the literature, having everything ready to go and, and asking you, Michelle, would you be open to sitting down with me? I have a couple of um, topics I want to discuss with you about some of the practices we're implementing. And then, you know, if you agree to sit down with me, then saying, you know, whatever it is that we're talking about, that's not evidence-based and really approaching that from a place, again, of vulnerability, authenticity. And if you still push back on me and say, um, you know, that you're not going to do it, making, you know, turning on that person and making them expand. Well, why, why can you expand on that? Can you tell me a little bit more? And then that really will make that person sit back and, and discover, well, why is it that I'm not willing to do this? Um, that's something in my in my current job that happens all the time, of neck cancer, of people you know, not wanting to, to do newer things that are supported by the literature um, and telling patients, this is your new normal, you will never swallow again. Well, what, well why? why? Why is that our current practice? And can we expand upon that? Can you tell me more about that? And a lot of times what we'll discover is there's a reason that can be fixed. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's process. Maybe it's it's time. Maybe it's manpower. And so um, when we find that pain point, then we can really identify how to move forward. Does this work in a situation? No, it doesn't. And so that's when um, you know people at all stages of their career have to make that choice. Do I want to stay in this situation where my growth is stunted, where my ability to use gold standard practices are stunted and recognizing that you, you're not going to be able to save, save the world. Cause we, you know, we have big hearts and we want to, we want to save the world, but it's the person in front of me. It's what can I do in this moment 
on this day. And then I can, when I can go home into that place of, of calm, then I can really uncover what is my next step going to be. Um, and so that's why I always encourage people when you are interviewing to ask those questions. What is my opportunity for growth? What are your thoughts on implementing evidence-based practices and new processes and programs? Like really asking those hard questions because that's going to help you uncover, is this a place that I want to be? Because if it's not, there's no point in pursuing it. Even if, you know, again, you mentioned younger clinicians, a lot of younger clinicians, they have that job that they want to get. And I mean, I know I was raising my hand like, I'll clean the toilet if you if you give me a, a job where I'm going to be able to do acute care and maybe work with head and neck patients, you know. But I think sometimes that eagerness can actually be a hindrance because then we jump into something and we don't really investigate or we feel like we should be begging for this position and not recognizing our worth and the value that we drive. So if you're, no matter what stage of your your career that you're in, if you're interviewing, interview the person interviewing you. You are a a valued person. You're a person first and then you're a speech pathologist. And so I always think if you're, if you're interviewing someone else, you should be interviewing on personality, on, on their coachability, on their teamwork, all of those things, because skills you can teach. The other traits are much, um, I think, uh, harder to to develop. They take time, not to say that they can't be taught. But um, if I have a clinician that's willing to participate in interdisciplinary collaboration and explore new evidence-based practices and really work with the team, that's huge because then we can t- we can teach some of those other skills. Um, so that's my advice um, for, for that scenario. And then you mentioned the work-life balance piece. If you know you have kids or you have family, or maybe you're trying to balance, like where do I draw the line? Because a, a lot of us we take our work home, even if you walk out, you're thinking about that child that you saw this morning, or you're thinking about that adult that just initiated hospice, and that's hard. And I think again that comes that comes with experience, um, but also recognizing your ability to, to set that boundary. And it's, I'm not saying I'm perfect yet. I'm still obviously, I'm still obviously having a hard time with it because I just was having those panic attacks back in the fall, because I think a lot of us do, we take the weight of the world on our shoulders and we try to fix it. So being able to ask for what you need. And like I said, I'm still learning. I went to my manager at that time and told him, I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue in my role because of what I was experiencing, but me vocalizing what I needed, me thinking I was going to have to like step down, his immediate response is, what can we do? What can we do to accommodate and to help you? Can you take a three-week paid vacation? Can you not travel for six months? What we will do anything to help you get through this time period. And that's me. That's that's great leadership right there is recognizing the humanity in your team. Sorry. That's okay. No, it was, it was very humbling to me. I I cried. I cried to my boss like three times. Um, it was very humbling. Um, and very, it was a very vulnerable time. Right. Um, I'm bringing up talking about it because it was very to have these panic attacks and not to, to have it impact your day-to-day function was was very hard. Um, And so to have that response from my manager and then from other team members of, you know, support was huge. And not every team, not every team has that. Right. And so, but I think if we don't ask, we don't know. We, and so, um, like I said, I was, again, a a learning lesson for me because I was thinking like, oh, I'm not doing a good job because I'm having this happen. And I hid it. I hid it from a lot of people um, because I was embarrassed. But when I actually got vulnerable, said what was, the response was overwhelmingly supportive and positive. So we don't know if we don't ask, but I think, you know, hopefully people listening can Take, take advice from my experience and set those boundaries before you get to that point of, of major burnout and um, some of these other health ramifications and recognize, um, to your point, Michelle, earlier about energy levels and communication styles, everyone's different. So everyone's capacity is different and that's okay. We're all different people. And so it's very important that we're really assessing that because if we truly want to be leaders and give to our patients and give to the people around us, understanding how we function is is very vital. And I think the foundation to that. Sorry, that was a very long monologue about that. Um, but then the last one you mentioned is, you know, how do we get 
uh, if we're farther on our career and we're kind of getting to that point where we're people are kind of picking our brain um, and it's a very transition. I'm not at that point in my career. However, you know, I've had people in servant leadership that are much farther along in, in, in their career than I am that have done huge and amazing, impactful things. And some of the, of the lessons that I've taken from them are never stop learning, never stop being involved. You can still have that, some of that energy and some of that project development and and people development, right? Because if you have had those clinical experiences, but also the life experiences, you can help mold and mentor other people, not only on the clinical side, but on the personal development side. Um, and that's, that's really, really cool. So I don't know. I don't know if those were helpful examples, but if anyone listening has any of those experiences and is wanting to be in a very positive and supportive group that's going to help you work through whatever it is that you are dealing with. Um, Servant leadership is that space. And like I said, we always leave the Facebook and the WhatsApp groups for each cohort open so that those um, groups can stay active and stay connected to one another. And there have been some really awesome friendships and partnerships and collaborations that have come out of servant leadership. Tons of people have gotten their dream job. So they recognize, hey, you know, I'm not in the place where I can grow. And here's what I'm going to do. So it's it's something uh, I'm very, very proud of. Uh, not Again, not because of what Kate or I did, but what the community has done as a whole. Because this wouldn't be a thing if people weren't identifying that, yes, this is something that we need and like, let's come together and do it. So. Mm. I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, wow, just taking it all in. Okay. Folks, my my big takeaway is that if you want to be a leader and if you want to affect change, seek to understand, do it with grace, do it with kindness, and learn to hold the conversations that are uncomfortable. And my Bible study keeps popping up with the words, be bold. I mean, like, and I flip flop between different Bible studies. It's not like the same book I'm reading every day, but like, um, also Lord, I need to read it every day, but that's a conversation for another thing. And consistency is key, but it's okay to be bold and it's okay to take up space because as, um, oftentimes society tells women to not do that, but own your muchness and take up space, be bold, be brave, lean in, do it with grace. So, um, man, that should be a bumper sticker, Brooke. That'd be a cool bumper sticker. Okay. Brooke, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Folks, go check out her Instagram account. I'm trying to pull it up because I have it right here. It is at Brooke Bielman, B-E-I-L-M-A-N. And um, get your cup filled. And don't forget to follow us on First Bite Podcast on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook on the First Bite Podcast Facebook page. We love it when you slide over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a a five-star review and with kind commentary. And y'all, here we are. Um, Also, friendly reminder, we are roughly six weeks away, I believe, from the um, International Pediatric Feeding Disorder hosted by Feeding Matters. So Make sure that y'all, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you register. Um, I'll be at the pre-con because they asked me to host the pre-con talking about placing caregivers first because we got to do that. So um, be sure to uh, check that out. But um, Brooke, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I always love talking to you, Michelle. And like I said, You've definitely, whether or not you knew it, have been um, impactful in my life in in many different ways. So I appreciate all that you're doing for our field and for me personally. Mm. All the blessings, friend. Oh, now I'm crying again. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. 
The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually as well. Here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and Skisha. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye.